0: Oh, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I am Scott Gardner, and joining me again for this episode is my good buddy Todd Grady. How's it going, Todd?
1: Going great. How about you, Scott?
0: Hey, I'm doing fantastic. So glad to have you on the show again. And I'm going to let you go first.
1: I can do that. <laughs> well, my, uh, my issue for this episode is, and this was a, a randomly picked episode out of my, my collection. Uh, is West Coast Avengers number 23 from Sweet. August of 1987. Um, yeah, and West Coast Avengers was always that kind of, what do we do with all of these characters that are not in a group? I know, they can be West Coast Avengers. <laughs> this has got a uh, cover price of 75 cents. We've got uh, Steve Englehart as the writer, uh, pencils by Al Milgram. The inker is Romeo... Tanghal, T-A-N-G-H-A-L, again with these names. Uh, <laughs> and colors by Christy Scheel. And this uh, this episode has just a, a plethora of, uh, of characters in it. I think they really tried their best to cram as many characters in here. And I actually have a... Uh, the, the name of this issue is Vengeance Cries the Mockingbird. My subtitle is Retcon Central. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the opening page in this, the splash page, is... Uh, split into all these segments. It's kind of like this little pie chart, and it says time has split in seven. And you've got two years ago, Doctor Strange returns from the Egypt of 2940 B.C. 110 years ago, Mockingbird resides, uh, rides to to kill the Phantom Rider. Ten years ago, the Fantastic Four returns from the Egypt of 2940 B.C. In the space-time continuum, the fleeing uh, Pharaoh Ramatat finds Doctor Doom. And this is my favorite one. In the cosmic no time, Khonshu drifts among <laughs> all ages. What what cosmic no time is? I, I think he just ran out of ideas there. Uh, right now, Doctor Pym, Espirita, who uh, Espirita is actually Firebird. She's apparently uh, born again and, and is now calling herself Espirita instead of Firebird. Uh, and the Moon Knight arrive at Fantastic Four HQ. And in 2940 BC, Hawkeye, Tigra, Wonder Woman, and Iron Man have no way of returning, so they're stuck completely in the past. So we uh, we pick up with uh, in, in modern times in the Fantastic Four headquarters. Uh, Doctor Pym has showed up. He is apparently trying to help Reed fix the time the Fantastic Four's time machine, uh, which I guess is their only hope of of saving the rest of the group stuck in 2940 BC. Uh, in Egypt. So Moon Knight shows up, Espirita shows up. Uh they have apparently discovered or Moon Knight has discovered in Espirita's Bible a note that was written hundreds of years ago from Hawkeye and stuck in the Bible. Uh that says that we're lost in time. Contact the Fantastic Four. Tell them we're trying for Ramatut's Egypt. So apparently they've been skipping around in time and he he found a uh uh, found her Bible and, and stuck this note in there so they would find it in the future a la Back to the Future fashion there. Uh, so they're trying to, uh, to fix this time machine and there's a couple of uh, a little offhand comments about you know, Moon Knight was always the, the kind of weird character in, in uh, West Coast Avengers. Moon Knight's one of my absolute favorite comic book characters. But he's one of those guys that should never be involved in any supergroup. But they and they make little side comments about, you know, wow, that guy's really mysterious. So even here, they're trying to maintain his uh, his little bit of, uh, of separation from the rest of the group. So we've got you know Dr. Pym and Reed working on the time machine. Uh, Reed makes some comments about how Dr. Pym, you know, wow, you really are a master of all things electronics. So he's got a little, little respect for Dr. Pym there. He's shown up in his. Uh, they start talking about his new rover that he's built, little flying machine that actually has the apparently has the artificial intelligence level of an ant. <laughs> and you see uh, see a little nice little scene with Franklin hanging out, stroking the uh, the rover, which has apparently become his his new best friend as a little uh, little Chihuahua kind of pet thing. Um, Anyway, we, uh, we flip back. You know, they're, they're still working on the time machine. We then flip back to 2940 B.C., and we see uh, Wonder Man, Tigra, and Iron Man, and Hawkeye, sorry, fighting off uh, what appears to be just a throng of really pissed off Egyptians, and they can't figure <laughs> out why. They're saying, we just, took your, you know, we just took down your dictator. You guys should be happy. And the throng tells them that, uh, well, you took down the dictator, but we live in this city. We're not the slaves. We're the rich guys. So we're pissed that you took out our leader because now we don't have slaves. So, you know, you you can never make everybody happy. (laughs) So they kind of blast everybody, make a run back for Khonshu's temple, which uh, if you're not familiar with Moon Knight, Khonshu is, you know, Moon Knight is the fist of Khonshu. That's where Moon Knight gets his power from. So they haul ass back. The Temple of Khonshu, even for Egyptians at this time, is sort of a forbidden place. It's a dark place. Nobody goes there. Uh, they run back in. There's a bunch of monks of Khonshu hanging out in the temple who are on their side. They, I guess have, in previous issues have helped them uh, overthrow this dictator. So they, they hold themselves up in there. They start uh, trying to make some kind of plans. And at this point, Hawkeye says, have you got anything I can carve? You got some wood I can carve some weapons out of? Which I'm not sure why if he's running out of arrows or what, but he, I think he wants to arm these guys so they can, they can help in the revolt. And they tell him, no, we don't have any wood, but we have ivory. And he makes this remark about, I know, I'll carve some, maybe some darts, maybe some boomerangs, maybe some throwing irons, which is a nice little retcon of apparently Hawkeye, created all of Moon Knight's little
2: weapons.
1: (laughs) 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, he carved all these little little ivory weapons and stashed them in the temple for Moon Knight to find later in the desert. Oh, like his little
0: crescent dart things that he throws like that? Oh, God.
1: (laughs) Those are all Hawkeye's making. (laughs) So we flip back to 1987. They're working on the time machine again. Uh, and there's actually a few remarks from Reed Richards. He's apparently trying to figure out a little more about uh, about Moon Knight, and has noticed that Moon Knight has quite a you know, fascination with uh, with Egyptian things because he's not apparently revealed any of his power connections to to Khonshu. So Moon Knight's just kind of thinking to himself and thinks back through his origin story of, of crawling through the desert, dying, finding the temple of Khonshu, taking the uh, taking the rub off the uh, uh, off the statue, gaining the power from the statue and finding these nice little weapons, darts, boomerangs, and throwing
2: irons.
1: (laughs) So, you know, we get this nice little tie in and we then skip back to 1876. We've got mockingbird on a horse. She's, uh, out in this, this dark, stormy Western landscape. She, uh, is standing up on a hill shouting out into the, into the darkness. And, uh, Proclaiming that she is she is a strong 20th century woman, and she is an agent of Shield trained to see with clear eyes, and an Avenger who has come to avenge. And I'm not sure. I guess this was in previous issues what she's trying to avenge, uh, but as she says that, the Phantom Rider pops up floating in the air, uh, in front of her, and tells her that gods dwell on this peak, sh- that he dwells on this peak, and that you know, they're getting ready for a fight. And her her nice little response is stuff it so they start to uh they, they start to kind of go at it a little bit get a nice fight and apparently at this point i guess the phantom rider in modern times is the phantom rider's ghost it's not the actual phantom rider the, the phantom rider in modern times it's a member of the adventures is is the phantom rider's ghost so they're fighting up on this cliff kicking each other's asses phantom rider flips falls over the edge uh, she n- hits him with a couple of uh, throwing batons, sends him the rest of the way down, and he's you know, clinging to, to clinging to the edge of the cliff, begging for him for uh, Mockingbird to help him up, and she refuses to, falls to his death, thus apparently creating the modern version ghost of Phantom Rider. So, we've got another uh, another time travel retcon. I'm not sure how that how that story worked out in the beginning, but we've now explained where that ghost came from. It was all Mockingbird's fault. And she now has her vengeance. So we flip back to 1987. Time machine's just about fixed. The thing proceeds to tell Espirita about his time spent with the mole man, and how this fits into the story. I, I really don't know. It's just a little uh, little aside to you know to Ben Grimm's uh, softer personality inside the rock hard shell. But he he spent some time with the Mole Man who cured him of his, you know, there was a time when he mutated even further and was really, really freakish. Mole Man cured him, but then he had to turn against Mole Man who was still his friend, but he was doing bad stuff, so I had to take him out, uh, but he felt really bad about it. And then the time machine's fixed. They decide they're going to send Dr. Pym, Aspirita, and Moon Knight, haha, back to Egypt because... Yes, I will confirm that I do have an interest in ancient Egyptian things, but that doesn't tell you anything.
2: <laughs>
1: so they end up, you know, strangely enough, appearing in Khonshu's temple. So you know, great, uh, great pinpoint accuracy there from from Mister Richards. They uh, they show up, equip the. Uh, the you know, he he meets the monks from uh, from Khonshu. The they. Immediately recognize him because they know the prophecy. He's—they know that he's going to come in three thousand years to the temple, uh, take the power of Konshu, and, and become Moon Knight. So they zap themselves. Uh, uh, actually, not back to present time, but they zap themselves to 1876, where we see Mockingbird uh, overseeing uh, Phantom Rider's burial. So they—they they, these. Uh, Native Americans take him into a cave, bury him, thus, uh, you know, in in the future, creating the ghost. And coming in, riding in on horses, we've got, uh, uh, apparently, Iron Man, his armor is not that heavy because he can be very well supported on horseback. Hawkeye's on horseback. Moon Knight's on horseback. Everybody's rolling in on horseback. And we've got a couple of uh, Western heroes who I uh, have never read too many of their issues, but Rawhide Kid, Two-Gun Kid um are, are riding in the posse to, to come and get, uh, Mockingbird. Mockingbird and Hawkeye have a nice little, little kissy kissy reunion. And we are ending the episode with them traveling through a nice psychedelic time warp of some sort, <laughs> all with huge smiles on their faces, heading back to 1987. And, uh, on to their next series of adventures. And apparently to, you know, fix all of the Issues there were with uh, the Marvel Universe at the time that they didn't fix in this retcon issue.
0: Wow, this sounds like... Uh, well, you said Engelhart was the writer on this, right? Right. Yeah, that man is like exposition city, man. So yeah, there
1: was <laughs> it was a lot of text. Like, yeah, it a sounds, sounds like there's a issue. lot
0: of shit going on in that one.
1: <laughs> wow, and it was. I mean, it's like every four or five panels, they're they're skipping time zones. Uh, y- like I say a lot of conversation going on to explain what the hell is 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 happening in each one of these these time continuums.
0: Well, I uh as I was listening I was like, you know, I cuz I'm really looking forward, you know, over on uh Will Sanchez's um Avengers Assemble podcast, um I was a guest on uh I can't remember if it was on one one show or two shows, but we did um the first uh I was going to say the first four issues. That's not right. It was the mini series um, called West Coast Avengers. It was a four issue mini. And I've been begging Will to continue forward. I want to get into the series. You know, but I've never read it, but I have the whole set. And, you know, it's it's one of my, you know, one of these days projects. I want to right. sit down and read it. But as you started into this one, I was like, wow, I was starting to rethink that, going, <laughs> oh, I don't know, this sounds really, you know, whatever.
1: West Coast, yeah, West Coast was never the greatest title in the world. There were some interesting issues in it, but it was a – they were never a real cohesive team. Like I say, it was always one of these, oh, well, you know, I don't really want to be a member of a team, so I'm going to go wander by myself. Oh, wait, I found the West Coast Avengers.
0: But no, I mean there was enough of it from from what you talked about that that still really piques my interest because one of the things I like, you know, it, it sounds like you got a lot of in this, is that you had other Marvel Universe characters just kind of popping in to, right. to help out, like the the FF and stuff. I love that, you know, that that owes back to the to the classic Marvel of of my you know youth and and coming up is when it felt. Like a much more cohesive universe, you know, where, you know, Spider-Man or whoever might just pop in to right. to help out, and then you know, swing back right back out, you know, three panels later. whatever. I love stuff like that, and they just don't do enough of it anymore, in in my opinion.
1: But also oh, the other was, thing, this one was full of editor's notes as well, you know.
0: Oh yeah, I love see, that. See that
1: issue too. eight of this. See issue forty-five of this. Yeah, and I like that too. That's if you're gonna if you want to cross sell comics, don't do ridiculous events where I feel like I have to buy every issue of everything and I end up going, I'm going to buy none of them, do editor's notes.
0: I wonder if they think somehow that it doesn't work because I'll tell you what, and, and I would imagine I'm not alone in this, you know, as one of those anal retentive fanboys that just has to know how does the story play out or whatever, when I'm reading something like this, if it says, you know, for more of Joe Schmo's, you know, internal dialogue and what the hell he's talking about, check out Joe Schmo number fifty-seven. Well, I'm going to go check it out because oh, you know, yeah. if it's good enough to catch my interest, then you know, then I've got to read the rest of the story. And geez, you know, I mean, as somebody who started out in comics just reading, you know, Superman and Star Wars, you know, I'm today into all the other stuff I'm into because of things where Superman would guest star in like. Or, or, I mean, Superman would star in, like, DC Comics Presents, and you would get somebody that would pop in, like, Dead Man or or Firestorm or somebody that I'd never seen before. And then it would reference, you know, for more on this story, check out, you know, Firestorm number three or whatever. And, you know, the next thing you know, I'm over and I'm I'm buying that book. So that shit
1: works. My son's a great example of it. I pulled out recently a whole stack of uh, 80s Iron Man issues for him to read. Yeah, you know, he gets halfway through one of the issues and goes, Dad, do you have Incredible Hulk 217? Uh, why? Well, because it says right here that if you want to read more of this story, go to Incredible Hulk 217.
0: There you go. Sure,
1: let's go grab it.
0: There you go. See, that's perfect. That I'm telling you, it works. They they need to bring them back full, full time. Well, um, the other thing you mentioned that really caught my interest with this one is, uh, well, actually two things. Let me ask you first. What? Why the hell did Mockingbird kill Phantom Rider?
1: Like I say, I don't know. That's the motivation portion of it was not in here. It it must have been uh, the previous issue, which I do not have a full run uh, of West Coast Avengers. I have maybe a dozen or so random issues here and there,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and it doesn't really, you know, they uh, they do a lot of arguing. There's not really a lot of uh, a clear text as to why she's so damn pissed at him and who she's huh. trying to avenge um, you know I'm not sure if she is uh, if she thinks she's avenging Hawkeye because they've been separated she thinks he's dead because he's he's gone uh, forward in time and and she's still in, in yeah, you know the Wild West or, or what so I, I need to do some do some research on that to find out why the hell she has this thing out for Phantom Rider.
0: Yeah, I would love to know that backstory. Well I I drew this mental picture in my mind as you were talking of you know, you said that he appeared in the in the sky above her or something right. like that. And in my mind I'm I'm picturing it and then I got to thinking about that song Ghost Riders in the Sky and I was <laughs> like, Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> so well, you know, I, I am totally a sucker and i don't know why you know for for somebody who's never been into to westerns or anything like that i'm a complete sucker for both marvel and dc's western characters and i love it when we get stories like this where you know the the superheroes that we know like you know whether it's like the avengers or the justice league of america or something has a crossover with the the Western characters, because you know, uh, back in the day, Justice League did the same thing. There were at least two um, two issue uh, crossovers that I can recall with with the classic Justice League of America. There was one where they actually wound up um, in a duel with some of those characters. Okay. It was like uh, like Elongated Man and Zatanna and Flash and somebody else we're doing like the classic high noon, you know, draw type of thing up against like Jonah Hex and Batlash and Cinnamon and somebody else. I love stories Very like cool. that. Yeah, they're they're goofy, they're wacky, but they're also really cool because you get to see you know characters that otherwise would would never, you know, logically meet up or whatever. Plus uh you mentioned uh I think you mentioned the Two Gun Kid
1: yeah, that, that was just a, those were, were just, one panel appearances at the very end was the, was the posse coming to collect, uh, uh, coming, to, coming to collect Mockingbird it was Two-Gun Kid, uh, who else was it? Uh, Two-Gun Kid and Rawhide Kid.
0: Wasn't Two-Gun Kid the one that actually struck up a friendship with Hawkeye and came to live in the future with him for a while and they were like buddying around America and shit for a while? Am I thinking of the right character?
1: Uh, that may be. I think. Yeah, I think you're right.
0: I think that was. Uh, I don't know. I've got vague recollections of that, but I think that was that might have been in in George Perez's first run okay. as as artist on the Avengers. It seems to me that that was one of the like B plots. Right. Was something to do with Hawkeye like dropped out of the Avengers, and, and he and uh, I think it was the Two Gun Kid. Did kind of like the Green Lantern, Green Arrow, you know, let's just go discover America kind of thing. But it was just cool because, you know, his, the guy he chose to go do it with was actually a cowboy from the 19th century, you know, right. so it's a really cool idea. It was, you know, it was a little bit strange, but it was also a lot of fun. Oh, that's awesome. So I mean, you enjoyed this one though, right? Even despite all the exposition and all that. Yeah,
1: it was totally. It was a, you know a weird goofball episode, and despite all the exposition and the little weird, little weird retcon things going on, um, it, was, it was a fun read. Cool. So
0: I mean, you you would uh, you'd recommend it? You'd follow it up if you if you you know could find more issues and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think
1: if I could find some of the some of the preceding issues and whatnot leading up to the. Uh, uh, Leading up to how they all ended up in these separate timelines, I think I would definitely pick some up and 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 read them to figure out, you know, like I say, how they how everybody got separated, what this uh, revolt in ancient Egypt was, what Mockingbird's motivations were. Uh, I think I definitely would would like to pick some some preceding and, and following issues up of this.
2: Cool.
0: Well, that gives me hope then that I, I can continue to work on Will, and and he'll agree to go forward on this because I really would like to read that stuff. There's, you know, there's a lot of I don't know what you would call them exactly. I don't know if you would call them like B-list comics or what, but there's a lot of stuff like that, like this and like solo Avengers and right. and stuff like that where you know it, it maybe it didn't have the the best art or the you know it didn't get a lot of praise or a lot of notice when it came out but it's just stuff like that I'm always curious about you know where it came out it had a hell of a good lengthy run but you just never hear about it so I'm thinking well it, it couldn't have totally sucked if it ran for you know 50 to 100 issues or whatever somebody had to be reading it and, and enjoying it
1: but well, I I like the fringe characters the the uh, like I say, Moon Knight's one of my absolute favorites. You know, who for a long time had almost no interaction with the rest of the Marvel universe. Right. Um, and there's there's a lot of characters like that in both Marvel and DC that were that had long runs and very very rarely had anything to do with with the rest of the universe.
0: Yeah, I'm a sucker for those kind of characters too. I, I love the B-list guys, and even <laughs> a lot of times the Z-list guys. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really have a soft spot for the for those guys. A lot of time, well, for one thing, they they always. Uh, You know, when they're done really, you know, to their full potential, they're a lot more interesting because, uh, you know, a lot more chances can be taken. You know, Superman, you know, there's only so many things that can be done with him because, you know, he's such a marketing icon and and such a bread and butter thing for DC. But, you know, you could take somebody like, you know, Underwear Man – and you know, ultimately, you could do anything. He could lose an eye, an arm. You know, you can kill his entire supporting cat, whatever, because he's such a unknown or whatever. He's such a Z-list character, and that—that's part of my, you know, uh, affinity for those characters because it feels like there's a lot more risk involved with them. Right. I, I think they're more enjoyable that way. Well, anyway, we'll yeah, I'm going to go ahead and dig into what I got here. We are going back to June of 2001. This is Starman. Now somebody's going to go. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You just talked about Starman, but that was the Will Payton Starman. This is the Jack Knight Starman. From uh, this is uh, some people call this the 1994 Starman, but this is the one that spun out of uh, the Zero Hour event and all that. This is okay. the uh, you know the son of the original Starman and all. Cover by Andrew Robinson, and this one's written by David Goyer and James Robinson. Art by, and here's another one of those names. I think it's pronounced Snybear or Snaybear. It's S N E J B J E R G. Snibear, something
1: like that. Yeah,
0: there you go. I like that. Original cover price on this one was $2.50. And the story is entitled 1951 Part 2. What? That's, that's actually the title on this one. And uh, this issue demonstrates to me just how very, very badly I really need to go back and reread this series. Because, you know, I, if I had to pick, I mean, if, if, if somebody put a gun in my head and say, Quick! What's the best comic that was ever written? I would probably have to say Starman. I loved this series. I I really, really enjoyed the hell out of it. It was an awesome book. It was a little slow to get going in the beginning, but once it got rolling, it never, ever let up, and it was awesome all the way to the end of it. And I think a lot of that was due in part to James Robinson's vision. He knew exactly what he wanted to do. He had the whole thing plotted out. And it, it has a definite beginning, middle, and end. I mean, the story actually ends, you know, with I think it was number 80 was the last one. But right toward the end of this series, it got hard for me in my local area to find the issues. And I realized the other day that uh, I was digging through a, 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 one of my long boxes of unread comics. And I spotted this issue. This was an issue that I tracked down after having finished the series. It's the only one I had never read. I have all the issues, but this one was the only one that I'd never actually read. Mm. So I went back you know, and, and read it for this show and realized right off the bat that you know this one's starting to fade in my memory to where I remember loving the series and all that and have really fond memories of it but they're fond vague memories because I'm thrown right into the middle of the story and we start out and Jack Ryder has been displaced in time he's he's now in 1951 and his brother David who in Jack's own time has been dead for quite a while uh, has been revealed to be the Starman of 1951. This was a mystery that was set up early in this series when there there was a moment somewhere in the series, kind of like that moment in Star Trek the motion picture where, where Captain Decker is showing Ilea the pictures of all the past Enterprises you know? Okay. There was a scene where somebody was, uh, I think it was Jack and his father were looking at pictures of all the former Starmans and there was one that was the Starman, he was actually called Starman of 1951. He was Starman just for a short time in that year, and nobody knew who he was. It was never revealed. And so in this one, that was the big reveal, was that this mysterious Starman was actually Jack's dead brother. And you come to find out that David doesn't know how he wound up in 1951, but he just he knows that he was displaced in time and it comes out over the course of this story that he was actually somehow or other pulled out of time at the instant of his death to become this starman it was some sort of i don't know fated destiny type of thing anyway this issue starts out and uh in, uh jack is on like a bad drug trip he's he's been injected by uh the mist with some drug that's totally incapacitated him and he's totally wigging out and he comes to and his brother dressed as Starman is standing over him and he starts to say his brother's name and then he realizes that our man is also there in, as well so he you know he cuts himself off and doesn't reveal his brother's identity or anything and they are all at his dad's place um Ted Knight's place and of course Ted nobody but David knows who Jack is, I, I can't remember now what exactly the explanation was for how they explained Jack away, you know his presence or whatever, but nobody apparently, but David knows that you know he's from the future, and you know of course David recognizes him because he's his brother, right? but you know, Ted Knight does not know that Jack is his son, and and our man um, doesn't know anything about any of this. I don't even think that our man knows um, Starman's identity. So anyway, they, they compare notes and, uh, you know, they're concerned about Jack because, you know, he was in, dr- injected with these drugs and everything. But, you know, he tells them he feels like he's going to be all right and he's just a little woozy. They tell him that during the fight that they were having with these supervillains that they actually managed to catch one of the henchmen and that they're holding him at police headquarters, you know, do you feel up to it? Yeah, I do. So they decide they're going to go down to police headquarters and they're going to see what information they can get out of this guy about what the mist's plot is. So they go there and, uh, you know, they're, they're watching the guy from, you know, behind the, the, the two way glass, you know, as he's being interrogated and all that. And it's really striking um, Jack Ryder, all these, classic police officers that he's meeting you know a lot of them are are legends in his own time a lot of them are dead or they're you know very old men or whatever but he's seeing them here in their prime he's seeing how very different the the world you know is from a police standpoint you know that they're not afraid to beat the shit out of a prisoner to get a confession or whatever and you know also that they worship starman you know he he's got a totally cool relationship with the police they they treat him like a comrade like a buddy and it really blows jack away and he even slips up and makes a a comment that wow you know i thought superheroes weren't popular at this point in american history and and one of the cops says american history you make us sound like we're crossing valley forge with washington and and it's really a, a nice piece of dialogue and jack realizes that you know he shouldn't have quite worded it that way but what he meant was that you know this was a time when the JLA, or excuse me, the JSA, the Justice Society, had been forced to disband. Basically, this was just past um, that miniseries, America versus the JSA, where where it was a lot of like McCarthyism and stuff had been going on, and they were called before like I don't, know, I think it was a congressional committee or some shit, and basically. Put on the spot, you know, reveal your secret identities, you know, to prove your patriotism, prove your, you know, your true American status and all this. And they refused and disbanded. So Jack is a little bit surprised to see the the police so embracing of not only Starman, but our man who's there too, and they're like, Well, you know, we don't care about all that crap. You know, Starman's always been there for us, he's our buddy, you know. And it's pretty cool. And it, it Jack has a nice inner dialogue where he starts to feel really bad about lying to these people because to him, these people are heroes. You know, they're they're icons that he's heard about and and known about all his life, and he feels very badly that he can't, for whatever reason, he feels like he can't be honest with them and just tell them, "Hey, I'm from the future" or whatever. He's keeping it to himself, and it's bothering him so bad that he finally goes to his brother and says, uh, "Hey, can I talk to you for a minute?" And they step out and they go up on the roof together. And for whatever reason, Jack decides he's going to spill his guts to his brother. And they, you know, keep in mind, they were never close. They, they, they never really got along during the time that David was alive. And the only time that they started to actually come together was that once a year in this title, they would do an issue called, uh, I think it was called Talking with David, where David's ghost would come to Jack and they were weird issues, but they were a lot of fun. And over the course of so many of those, they finally started to come together as brothers and, and reconcile their damaged relationship. And Jack really started to feel badly that he'd never appreciated his brother when he was actually alive. So, in this sequence here, he finally just tells his bl- brother flat out that you were murdered. You know, that's what happened to you. And I don't know how it is that you're here and how we're getting this second chance but he lays it all out and it really at first, you know, naturally stuns David, you know, I mean he he learns that, you know, if he returns to the future, he's going to die. Right. And there's a great panel of them standing side by side. There's no dialogue or anything. They're both standing on the edge of this roof. It's almost Batman and Robin-esque the way they're just kind of looking out at the city. And David pulls his mask back up and he's got this like grim resolve on his face and he just basically tells his brother that you know, my idea of a hero is somebody that holds his head high, no matter what comes. You know, whatever will be, will be. I, I'm not going to run and hide. And there's a great, beautiful panel. Now, I will admit that when this guy, when this artist, this air, first came onto this book, I really, really, really didn't like his art. It was too something for me. But this panel of Jack with tears in his eyes, and just think for a moment how hard that is to draw in a comic book somebody welling up cuz you can draw somebody crying and that's very easy to artistically convey streams of tears running down your face but sure. well, how hard is it to draw tears welling up in somebody's eyes especially a guy and he does it beautifully where you can see that that Jack is just totally awestruck by his brother and in, in you know the the piece of internal dialogue just says i think i'm going to burst with pride and i love that sequence that he realizes that his brother you know, it, in Jack's mind, his brother is twice the Starman that Jack will ever be, despite the the fact that Jack has been Starman through seventy-eight issues of this series. You know, that he still feels like he's never really going to live up to his his, you know, what his brother was. So then we cut back to the prisoner being interrogated, and he's finally spilling his guts, and, and it comes down to. A fact where the mist is stealing all, you know, these drugs and chemicals and experimental things from all these different companies for some plan that this hen- henchman really isn't privy to the whole thing, but all he knows is that it involves um, creatures from outer space and matinee idols. And that's all that he's really able to supply to the cops and the heroes. So they go back to Ted Knight's place and they're they're having a superhero powwow trying to figure this all out. And Jack suddenly realizes that something that's been nagging him all day finally clicks. And it's a story he remembered hearing about this like mob riot type of thing during um, a showing of one of his favorite classic movies, The Thing from Another World. So they check the local listings in the newspaper. Sure enough, that movie is going to be playing that night. So uh, Our Man places a quick call to um, Sandman, asking him for some of his knockout gas, and then the heroes all take off together. And at the very end of the issue, we see this beautiful page of a classic bijou-style movie theater, and all the people, you know, the, the civilians showing up to, you know, buying their tickets and being ushered to their seats, and it's just really gorgeous art. And the movie begins, and um, Starman and his brother and Hourman and everybody show up at the theater, and they they bust in, and they're too late. The last panel, or the last page is a beautiful splash panel of the theater Patrons just absolutely batshit crazy, tearing each other apart, and it was really, really cool. And uh, you know, I just I loved this series so much. I've really got to go back and and read it all now because I, I was really, you know, this this issue just brought it all back to me. How great the writing was, how great the art was, even though it's not at all my preferred style of art it's just so it fits the the moodiness and the style of the way this book was written and this is really you know sure it's starman and sure it's published by dc comics and sure it's entrenched in dc lore but this is really like the the best representation of what independent comics are at their at their highest mark and it just happens to be published you know in that world, and it's great. It's, it's it's like you know DC superheroes done indie style, and it's just fantastic. I, I've really got to go back and reread this.
1: And I have not read I have not read any of them. Um, I was uh, when I was collecting a lot in the '80s. I was primarily a Marvel guy and an independent guy. I, I, there were a few DC titles that I bought. I never really read Starman, and it's one of those that I've heard great great things about. Need to go back. Uh, and pick those up and read them, um, and especially th- that time frame was the time frame where I had started to kind of drop out of of collecting and before I'd gotten back in. So uh, yeah, that particular run is something I've I've never read any of, but heard great things about.
0: It, it really was, you know, it was. Uh... I was kind of the same way. It was, I was at a time where, you know, I never... Thankfully, I never dropped comics. You know, I know a lot of people. I've, I've got so many friends and, and acquaintances in in comic book fandom mm-hmm. that have the same story, that rate right about, you know, 93, 94, so, you know, somewhere in that range between, like, 93 and 96. So many people dropped out of comics, and for good reason. I mean, a lot of bad things happened in that decade. But thankfully you know the the decade was redeemed by the fact that there were some gems and oh, sure. this one was the major one i mean starman was really that he, that was the sparkling jewel of of the 90s was that title you know being kicked off and and spinning out of uh zero hour which to me is is another one of those disposable big events it's right up there with like millennium i just i don't think a lot really came out of zero hour, but God, it gave a star man, and you know that makes it awesome right there because it really is a, a solid, solid read, really fun book, especially if you, if you like, you know the 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 golden age, you know the JSA heroes and all that oh, yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. But what what was? It's hard to describe that book to people, you know, because a lot of people will, will ask, well, you know, well, what's so great about it, or what is it about it that appeals, and it, it's hard to put. A finger on exactly what it is, but a lot of the appeal to me was that, you know, this was just a, an average Joe, you know, he, he wasn't, you know, he, he doesn't get bitten by a radioactive spider and he doesn't come from another planet. He's, he's really kind of thrust into the role through necessity, you right. know, and it, it, it was his brother who was the legacy hero you know it was his brother that was groomed from you know birth basically to be his father's successor in the role of starman and when his brother gets killed you know he still doesn't really want to step up it's it's a very reluctant thing and he basically finds the hero within kind of thing through the course of the story but it's that sounds very cliche but it's really not it's done in a style to where he finally decides, well, if I'm going to do this hero thing, I'm going to do it my way. I'm not going to wear any stupid friggin' costume. I'm not going to wear a cape. I'm not going to have a secret identity. I'm not going to wear a mask. And he's such a, you know, he doesn't at all fit, you know, the, the, the superhero standard other than the fact of he does the right thing. Right. Other than that, he's, he doesn't have any of the trappings of, a, of what you would call a superhero. And he's really not a superhero. He's just a guy out there doing the best he can with, with what he's got. And I, th- I think that was really what I dug about it. It's, it's very, very human. And you get to know him. I mean, his uh, personal life and, and his uh, you know, normal, regular, everyday life was actually interesting and something that you wanted to follow. Because, you know, for example, you know, when I was a kid in in Superman comics, a lot of times they would have a backup feature called the Private Life of Clark Kent. I couldn't give two shits about what Superman does in his in his downtime as Clark. I just I could care less. I want to see him, you know, lifting cars and and throwing mountains and shit like that. I don't want to see him, you know. Going through the drive-through and and you know watching the evening news—that's that, fucking boring to me. Yet, super, uh, excuse me, Starman, because you you know him as just a regular guy, then you're invested in his regular story. So you know when he finally finds a steady girlfriend, and you know there's a reveal much later in the series where he actually has um, an illegitimate son and things like that. You, you kind of get more invested in him that way because he's already been presented to you as just a regular Joe.
1: Well, that's who he is. Yeah, and, you know, Superman is, Superman is Superman. He pretends to be Clark Kent. Right. You know, that, and it's not very exciting because that's his—that's his, that's his made-up world. It's—it's it's all a sham anyway. So who gives a shit?
0: Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well. I've probably gone on way too long about it, but you know the bottom line is uh, definitely check it out if you ever get the chance because oh, yeah. it's it's really really a fantastic read and uh, and one of the few series that that was ever a- able to make me actually cry like seriously cry you know right. like like because there there's a couple of different uh, storylines and a couple of different issues that were just oh my god it just broke your heart you know. And that to me is that that's a hell of a of a thing to accomplish, to where you, you're so invested in the characters that their tragedies hit you on that level.
1: Yep. Yep. Cool. Mm-hmm. Thank
0: you so much for listening and I hope you'll join me right back here next week when who knows what mystery guest host will be popping by. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, and criticisms for the show via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of the comicforums.com. We are now accepting requests for guest host spots on the show, so if you'd like to join me in an episode, let me know. Also, please be sure to check out the home website for Back to the Bins at www2 com. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you can find at ComicBookNoise.com League, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at ComicsPodcast.com. Take a moment to drop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you?